Welcome into the Blue Collar Deadcast, where we talk about all things Colorado and drinks and beverages. Today, yes, we do. We are going to jump into beers. Doesn't necessarily mean that all of our drinks are going to be from Colorado. Today, we are going to take a look at some IPAs and some kind of a Belgian beer. Yeah, it's a it says A M A I. I'm not really entirely sure how to pronounce it. I would say Amai. Yeah. A my size biscuit malt Belgian candy. It yeah. sounds disgusting. It sounds interesting. Sounds uh, so what you're holding in your hand is a Belgian dark strong ale. Uh, excellent for the style, it says. Happy tasters posting heart eyes emojis and exclaiming, one of the best beers I've ever had in a while. <laughs> so what makes a my Drowned lands, apparently. Yeah. Belgian peppery spice. I mean, there's a lot of technical terms, and I thought I was a beer guy. So, signature flavors of the top-notch banana bread alongside dried Ooh. dark fruit with notes of added depth. I think you're going to be drinking this thing. It is 10.8%. Are you saying that we're going to trade? That's what I think. Nah. We'll try it. We'll try both. We'll each try both and give our reviews. And then what, 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 are, what are you holding in your hand? What I'm holding in my hand. Okay, well, first off, yours is from New York. Warwick. Warwick, New York. Mine's from Portland, Oregon. It's from Ecliptic Brewing. It's an IPA. Damn right. That's where I live, all right? It's the only beer to drink. IPAs. S-T-A-R-P-M is Fun Fusion of Ecliptic Starburst IPA and Boneyards RPM. The duo doused with Citra, Simcoe, Centennial, Zaka, probably butchering that, and Amarillo hops. Sounds way better than what I'm about to drink. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, where's your optimism? I'm, I'm nervous. Okay, all right. So mine is, uh, I'm sorry, it says the word dank. I love it. <laughs> well, this shit's dank. Dank. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is gonna yes. be dank. Mine's gonna be like ah, ah, ah. anyway. Well, we're we're both gonna have the opportunity to try Absolutely. them. So whether you like it, we can trade. It's all good. I like all things alcoholic. Oh wait a minute. Well, that's what happens when you're a blue collar worker. Hey, that's what happens, right? Yeah. So let's go ahead and let's open these things. Yep. Yeah. Cheers. Before we open it, cheers. Can't hear the clink because there's no drink. <laughs> Can't hear the clink because there's no glass. Yes. All right. Oh, my God. Enjoy. Mine's pretty smooth, dude. That's actually surprisingly good. You start talking about fruits, like smashed fruits and whatever the hell else you said. I was like, Banana oh. bread. Banana bread. I was like, oh, God. Dude, who eats what are, black bananas, Who eats dude? black bananas, dude? That's, I mean. When I hear bananas in beer, I. It's gross. That's what I think. This is not bad. It's like a stout. Almost, is but it? it's not nitro. It's thick? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, mine, I mean, I don't know, man. I, for someone who just drinks IPAs and doesn't really venture much not bad. elsewhere, tastes like an IPA, dude. I do have to say, uh, what's your percentage on that? Because this is 10.8. So if I drink that whole thing, I'm going to, and I had a couple before the podcast here, if you can tell, uh, by the end of it, I'm going to be slurring my words. Doesn't say it on the can. I'm sorry, but it was uh well it's not easily found. It's a seven point three. Seven point three. Okay. Seven point three. So, so trading off is probably a good idea. Yeah, let's get to a uh, mid midpoint yeah, in yeah. the beverage we'll, and we'll um, switch it up. I'm yeah. Quarter already. Uh so these are the beers we're trying out. And then today, instead of covering all sorts of topics, we're going to get in kind of a deep one. Uh yeah, it's pretty heavy. Yeah, if you've been following us, there's going to be some gaps in coverage. However, if you haven't been, we're going to go into a little bit of a darker phase of Colorado history. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of dark. I mean, history in general is is, is you know what? pretty dark. You know, yeah. I mean, the main events. You're not going to hear a history story about how sunshine and rainbows. A teacher showed up to school and worked for eight hours. And then went home. You know, you're not going to hear that. Because that ain't history, right? Exactly. I mean, it is history. Oh, yeah. You know, in the in the 1800s, teachers went to school and taught their students and went home and had a normal day. 
And that's the shit you don't hear about. Right. That's a good point. Why would a straightforward eight-hour day be something of recordable Why would history? It make, exactly. Exactly. It's always either crazy, awesome stuff or terrible things. And mostly it's terrible things. It's terrible things, but these things take place. And hopefully, hopefully, and in most cases, we learn from them. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think... Uh, the entire United States uh, learned from this, and I think uh, I could, again, go down a rabbit hole with this thing, but I'm going to try not to. I'm going to try my hardest to just not talk about it, the other parts. But we're going to be talking about the Ludlow Massacre of 1914. Um, pretty heavy subject, so just bear with us. It's, it's it, very interesting history for sure. And uh, should I just jump right into... Uh, just jump right into it? Dude, go for it. Some people are really fucking stupid. Did you ever notice that? How many really stupid people you run into during the day? Word. All right. I'm ready. <laughs> so, the uh, indestructible leggings. These are all reviews today, people. Sorry, it's not news or stupid people. I mean, kind of together. But this is great. Indestructible leggings. Indestructible leggings. Okay. Uh, there's a couple pictures here. They're pretty fantastic. Uh, she, she says, Can I just say that I'll be reordering them in every color? Here is me rolling and sliding down a mountain because I was too scared to get up. My leggings did not rip, not even a little bit, and I got stuck on rocks and trees. Dear God. Yeah. Indestructible leggings, man. She was like sliding down the rocks into trees and bushes. <laughs> so you have to stop what you're doing and actually look this up. It's pretty good. Because there is a woman nope. literally hanging. It looks like she's hanging for dear life. She is. She, she refused to get up and walk. And these leggings were sound. Yeah, apparently. There was a, a comment underneath and they said... <laughs> So, I would also like to know what pants they are exactly. I wouldn't want silly copies that will rip when I move. So, it must be a larger lady. Or slide down mountains. Not not the best one, but uh, on to the next. <laughs> Here we go. Um, literally just says, hmm, as the title of the review. And it says, don't go to Sonic. My girl just almost choked on a piece of wood from y'all's shitty corn dogs." Fuck y'all, she's pregnant. Sonic <laughs> then responds on Twitter and says, Corn dogs come on a wooden stick. Tell her to slow the fuck down when she's eating. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want you to gag on the wood now. I mean, <laughs> how do you bite off? Oh my God. I, it like hurts. If I'm eating a corn dog, I don't know how you eat a, eat a corn dog, but I bite with my front teeth. So when I when I get there to the to the stick, and if I take a big bite, I'm like, mm, and like my whole head goes, like vibrates, like oh god, I, I just bit the stick. Have I not been eating corn dogs the right way? When you eat them from the side, I've never put thought into it. I just, honestly, I, yeah, from the front, yeah, you know, from the front. So she just... bit that piece of wood off with her front teeth. Is she a beaver? <laughs> I dude, I guess so, man. <laughs> I guess so. Get really into it, though. Well, I mean, super. But into here's it. the thing: it's like, not even. It's only part of the way. You know, <laughs> it's just the tip. It's just the tip. It's just the tip. So she literally, <laughs> she bit the tip off. <laughs> Good lord! But oh, that's scary. I just. <laughs> that, that's me. scary. Anyway, damn. <laughs> Come on now. Anyway. This is a uh, title disappointed. Number nineteen. <laughs> okay. Um. Why does this case have quote unquote remove protective film written all over it? Disappointed. It's it's a phone case with a protective film on it for shipping. They put it on their phone and they're like, "This is what are you? Why? Why is there? Wow." <laughs> protective film oh, what a terrible product how dare you put protective film all over my phone 
No, why? The one comment is, crumple it and stick it inside the empty space of the brain. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Man. Come on, dude. It's a come on, man moment. That That is a come on, man. Like I said, these are these are definitely reviews, all reviews. If you find them funny, let us know. Yeah, for sure. Oh, you can email us at bluecolordadcast at yahoo.com, actually. Hey, all right. Yeah. I, yeah, We're I want to mo- know. Moving up in the world. You you got two more? I got two more of them, some bitches. I want to know. Well, anyway, I, I have know. two more. Uh, I was told you would enjoy this quite a bit. Two stars. Says... Like all caps, the whole review. Whatever you do, do not fill a super big gulp cup with five hour energy and chug the whole thing. My heart has either stopped completely or is beating so fast that I can't feel my own pulse. Cons. I haven't slept in 72 hours. I can't feel my face. I peed this morning and I'm pretty sure it was 99% blood. (laughs) Pros. I've deep cleaned my entire apartment, and I can read minds. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine I... It's not over yet. Oh, go ahead. Go okay, ahead. no, no. I want to hear more. All right. She said, or she or he says, uh, super big gulp, 44 ounces, five-hour energy, two ounce. That means I drank 22 five-hour energies in less than two minutes. 22 times five equals 110 hours of energy. God help me. She filled the big gulp full of five-hour energies. No, no, no. Like, I fully comprehend like, that. Like, come on. I'm just trying to do the math. The last time I bought one of those. I haven't bought one in years. Yeah, that's like what I'm years saying. Like, years and years. So, carry the one. That's like a carry bajillion dollars. <laughs> and uh, who does that? Is that like a social experiment? Anyway. This person apparently really wanted energy and chugged it. They literally, I keep saying she, but they literally chugged a 44-ounce Super Gulp full of five-hour energy. That's that's like a blown kidney. You're asking to die at that point. Yeah, that's like a blown it's kidney. Like, Jesus, take me. Pretty much. like I don't know what's going to happen. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Jesus, take the cup. Jesus, take the cup. I mean. I'm not doing it again. Never again. I lived. <laughs> My... <laughs> So the dad cast portion comes in right here. This is this is great. Yeah. This is great. Uh kid friendly for friendly kids. Give the gators to others. What? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a review of a alligator farm. Okay. So it says a cool place. Animals seemed tired. You can hold a baby alligator and they have other animals to pet. Kid friendly as, unless you have unfriendly kids. At which point just Toss them over the fence and do the world a favor. Well, I don't know what happened to Timmy. I don't we went know. to the alligator park where he was kind of being a. It's kind of be unfriendly. He was a little unfriendly. He was a little today. unfriendly. We don't know what happened to him. Well, I mean, them gators got all them teeth and no toothbrush. Yep, the uh, medulla oblongata. <laughs> <laughs> All them teeth and no toothbrush. That's why they're ornery. And they took stop me in my tracks. Yeah, <laughs> they ornery because they ain't got no toothbrush and all them teeth. <laughs> and Timmy paid the price because he was just not friendly. Oh man, yeah, I'm good. So was that your reviews? Yep, that was it. That's all I got. No, no, no. I kind of feel like we're just gonna dive into this uh, pretty heavy straight away. There's really no way to. Yeah, no, there's not. So let's just get to it, man. Tell me what you got. Well, if uh, if you're, well, you remember, I guess the easy way to do it is we we went to a bachelor party in Trinidad. Yep. For a a very close friend. And uh, he, for whatever reason, I mean, we, we drank a lot at that bachelor party. And he, for whatever reason, decided to come down the backside of the mountain and take us through Ludlow to get back to the highway, which is actually south of Trinidad. Yeah, like there, a, there was a weird way out, yeah. Yeah, because we, we took the riverway in 
through the city of Trinidad, up the river where you could kind of look down and see the river, and then through the gates and stuff where his parents owned the land, owned the mountaintop, really. And then on our way out, we turned left. Well, I remember that because I ended up having a... The reason why I remember is because I ended up having to drive this big-ass monster truck out of there. And mind you, I did not drive that in. You didn't drive in. I didn't drive it at all. Yeah, I was a passenger in, in that freaking oh, monster you, truck. You did drive in with him. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So yeah. So because of all the copious amounts of awesomeness, uh, I had to drive out, and that freaking monster truck was probably the most nerve wracking thing I've ever. Well, like, I think it was massive, dude. It was massive. Like beyond. It was. It was little dick massive. Little dick massive. Like. <laughs> Like you have to, you got to compensate for oh, something. something, dude. I <laughs> like here's the thing. Massive. I mean, when you got a big this and a big that, and it, it, it doesn't, it don't line up. My brain was like, "What are you doing, bro? We're good here. Why are you driving this?" Yeah, I was scared. Oh, I bet. I was scared. Yeah, and we drove out, and 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 Chris stopped there. He did. Yeah. And then so, he stopped there and was like, "Hey, you know, a little piece of history." I I never pegged Chris as a as a history person at all but i almost think it was something that um because it was his parents land i i kind of pegged it as something like they showed him when he was a kid so he's like hey i'll bring him out that way and show show him ludlow i give you that and yeah we stopped and we actually all took pictures in the last standing building like fully standing fully 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 erect standing yep fully erect building yep um it was the jail it's actually it's a very small jail, and I st- I have the sign hanging right there in in the studio. Um, one of the the best man actually at the wedding decided to we all took pictures in the jail, like holding onto the bars, and he decided to make it like you know, you know, it says wanted the Jackson gang. It's pretty cool. It's, it was it's pretty cool. It really was, and uh, I'm excited to hear what you have to say about the place in general. Yeah, I mean, again, we were there, and we kind of. Missed a lot of opportunities to to soak in the the real history from it. There was no way to there was no way to gain that just from that no. small instance that 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 ten minutes that we spent in that little place. Yeah, and we're like, ooh, Ludlow Massacre. Yeah, you know, Ludlow Massacre. Wait, you know, hey, sure. I mean, we read the signs and we're like, damn, that's messed up. But we're 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 gonna get into it, right? I'm gonna start right now. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'd like to first touch on mining and immigration and how they couple together in the USA in general. Um, at that time, and actually much before that, a lot of, and this was last week's, and I'm so sad last week's episode is gone, but a lot of Irish, Chinese, well, I should say, just say Asian, really, a lot of Irish and Asian people immigrated to the United States of America during that time because of the gold rush, because of coal mining, because of future opportunities. And it all started on the East Coast. And when everything kind of moved West, it was a a lot of primarily Asian and and Irish in Colorado. Yeah, manifest destiny, baby. Yep, I'm I'm going there. I'm going to build a better life. And the sad part is when they get here, they're, they're... Basically, the company was called Colorado Fuel and Iron, and for the rest of the time, I'm going to refer to it as CF and I. So if I slur and I say CFNI, it's CF and I. It's Colorado Fuel and Iron Company, and it was owned by the Rockefeller family or the Rockefeller Trust, whatever you, however you want to. Um, <laughs> basically, in the mines, they were paid per ton, right? And the way the Rockefellers or CF and I did it was uh, the long ton. Have you ever heard of the long ton? Uh, you know what? I briefly picked up on that. So Yeah, it's 2,200 pounds. Yes, but what and is the... A real ton is 2,000 pounds. Right. So they're making these guys work, and it was, uh, it was 80 cents per ton, and they're having to pull 2,200 pounds instead of 2,000 just to get 80 cents. And typically they're making about $1.60 a day. How far did a dollar sixty take them? Do you know? They say nowadays, within in twenty twenty three, it's a it's four dollars and fifty cents an hour. 
Are you kidding me? No. So they're making $4.50 an hour. And I mean, paying the same thing as we're paying right now with inflation. Sure. For for their groceries and their and their and their needs. Um It's not even a livable wage. It's not. It's not. It's like going back to when I was fourteen years old at Sonic. Five dollars an hour. You know? But you were still making more than them. Oh, right. When I was I mean, that was twenty twenty years, years ago. ago. And yeah. And they're they wanted more. They wanted better. So they, of they I mean, and this was happening all around the country where they're yep. they're striking, they're you know, during the strikes, they would put up basically tent cities to try to stop incoming what they called strike breakers uh, from from coming in and, you know, taking their jobs, essentially, making their strike worthless. So they would try to stop incoming people. And a lot of times these strike breakers would end up dead, maimed, disappeared. Because of... Because the strikers wanted their jobs. Well, yeah. So, all of a sudden, you'd... strike breaker would be wearing a pair of cement boots? Yeah. Well, hey, there's there's one with... Uh, and I, and I kind of find it strange that the tent colony in Ludlow is actually called the Forbes colony. Forbes. Like Forbes magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The richest people in the world. Uh-huh. A little strange, right? So, there was, there was one fella who ended up dead on the railroad tracks. Okay. And uh, this was like right before everything took off. I kind of want to touch in the in the, in the the history of it first. But, yeah, yeah. But this is like literally what set it off. But they found, basically he was ran over by a train. Ooh. And they're like, oh, the, either it was a town drunk that fell over or a, a, one of the strikers that fell over drunk in the, on the train tracks. Well, they, they said, no, 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 no. This murder. It's murder. They murdered him. The strikers did, and that's that set everything off. Everything off. That was that was the icing, the cherry on top. That there is the catalyst. Yep. The beginning of it all. The very beginning of it all, and the strike actually started on September seventeenth of nineteen thirteen. Um, the colony organizer, the Forbes tent colony organizer's name was Louis Tikus. Um, yeah, he was from Greece, right? Yeah, I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, uh, a lot of these folks that were there were veterans of the Greek Revolution. I didn't know that. Yeah, the Greek Revolution had, I don't know the dates. Sure. But a Greek Revolution had taken place uh, where Greece separated from Turkey. Nice. Oh. Mr. Tikus. Uh, anyway, he was a leader of that group. Yeah, so he was the the camp organizer, basically for the strikers. So he was one of the workers and decided to organize the the camp, Camp Forbes. I'm going to say it a million times. It's interesting. Can I keep saying that, please? Yeah. Forbes. Forbes for the people in the back. Very strange. Very very strange. That's why I said I could take this down a rabbit hole. Um, anyway, next time, next time, baby. So talked about it a little bit. Tents were set up by the miners to block any new hires. And they were either beaten, maimed, or disappeared. And uh, you got a train ran on them. So specifically in Ludlow, the living conditions were just awful, man. So the the houses were basically situated in a valley, like the valley under where they've been doing all the excavations and stuff. And they would just be blown on by coal and dust and their houses were covered. The kids were covered, just un, just filthy Coal. Completely, exactly. Coal dust. Yep. Completely unsatisfactory conditions to live in. And and coal's cancerous. So these people are sitting there basically in their houses getting cancer. And it is company-provided housing. Mm. So they had a village in Ludlow. Obviously, the town of Ludlow. So they had a village. They had housing. They had schools. They had church. They had grocery stores. All sorts of stuff. And the way they were paid was not American dollar bills. It was... They were paid with CFNI cash. And in the village, you could only buy from the store, and you had to use CFNI cash to buy from the store. And their prices were hiked. So if you went to like a normal grocery store in America at the time, you would pay, say, at that time, it's probably 30 cents for a dozen eggs. We'll just say that. I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't actually know the prices, but it's like 30 cents for a dozen eggs, right? Whatever. Maybe a nickel. 
And on the, on the, I almost want to call it a reservation, but it's not the reservation. Uh, in the, in the village, you're paying 15 cents where they're paying a nickel or 95 cents when they're paying 30 cents. It's, and they're, they're paying you way less than the average American's making but to you, do this nasty work, man. Could they even take the CFNI cash no. anywhere else? So no. it's only good in one place. Only good in a CFNI mining camp. So they're bringing all these immigrants in and paying them with their own cash, not real money. Right. It's not. It's monopoly. Not money. real money. And it's so, monopoly and, money. And and the funny part, you know, the Rockefellers own the company, and they're like, "Yeah, we're not going to pay them real money. Wow. We'll just take all the profits." Wow. <clears throat> there's there's a really fun part, uh, and and I don't mean fun in a good way. I mean fun to know what the hell is going on, kind of way. Um, CF and I had a sociological department. Okay. And conditions play into sociological, right? Yeah. And the leader of the sociological department was Dr. Richard Warren Corwin. He was he was the head of it. Um, fun facts about him. He was a surgeon with the National Guard, a member of the Colorado Board of Health, a 33rd degree Freemason, part of the part of the order of the mystic, ancient accepted Scottish rite, and the Colorado Knights Templar. On top of that, he was the chief surgeon for CFNI for 49 years, and he was an outspoken eugenist. Well, at least he was outspoken. You know what a eugenist is, what eugenics is, right? You'll have to tell me, honestly. I, I don't know. Eugenics is literally the pseudoscientific philosophy of the betterment of mankind through hereditary human manipulations. So, this mentally, like physically... I mean, whatever they can do to kind of change the American worker into what they want that person to be. I was just going to say a recipe for very bad things. Yeah. Oh, super bad like things. this guy Almost is, mind control at that yeah, point. Yeah, this guy is like in your head. Right. And that's that's his thing. He, he ran the sociological department for CFNI. That's, and that's ridiculous. Here's, here's more fun. Here we go. Okay. John D. Rockefeller was the leading eugenics proponent in recorded history. He actually spent a hundred million dollars on eugenic programs in the fucking nineteen hundreds. A hundred million dollars in the nineteen hundreds is like a trillion dollars. Yeah, dude, that's this is extremely eye-opening. It's a serious investment in in controlling the American worker, and they weren't even. That's I guess they were they were controlling the immigrant worker at that point. And I mean, how can this just the folks just wanting to come over here and? Hey, I'm gonna leave this bad situation. Yeah, terrible and then... famine in Ireland, and go to America because they have jobs and they found coal and they have gold and silver, and I'm gonna have a job. Come to find that the Rockefellers and I'm sorry, what was the doctor's name? Doctor Corwin. Doctor Corwin. They 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 get to find that guy. Yeah, and what's actually kind of funny is there's a hospital in Pueblo named Saint Mary Corwin. Connection? I don't know. I haven't looked that up yet. Next time. Probably, I, I mean, I can only imagine, because you figure it was Colorado in the in the I guess early 1900s. So yeah, might have to jot that one down. Yeah, jot it down for later. Let's do it. So in these camps, it was it was company regulated schools. Okay. So they were being taught everything that they wanted their employees to be taught. They actually had them, the adults, in school as well. And it actually backfired, and that's part of the reason why when the, I think it's the UMWA is what it's called, the, the UMWA, the United Mine Workers of America Union, when the UMWA, when they found out about that, probably through school, I would imagine. I don't, I don't know exactly all the details of that. I wasn't there. You know, I was born in 87. So oh, I don't know all those details. Later. But they're saying all the adults that were in the school... It's one of the reasons why the strike started. Well, I mean, they were being indoctrinated. They they were literally slaves. They were literally slaves with fake money living. It, it's insane to think about that. For that to go on underneath the noses of the of the government, and oh man, and and there was John D. Rockefeller was 
actually summoned to Congress and had to basically testify on these things because they, they kind of knew because all these mine explosions and there was gases and stuff that were blowing up mines. And I, I think you, what, what's the gas called? Well, I mean, there's methane, but I mean, even just coal, coal dust methane, itself. Yeah. So, so coal dust and methane were mixing together and yeah, I've, boom. But I mean, in order for coal dust to explode, I mean, it has to be suspended in air, but it has to be so thick that you can't see through it. So it makes sense for a coal mine to explode because of the dust. Yeah, you have to basically. Well, that that goes into their. They call it dead work. Okay. Or called it dead work. They they never got paid to prepare the mines. Whatever they had to do to prepare these mines, they never got paid for. Not not a cent. Not a penny. They would show up to these. Camps, and they're like, all right, dead work time. We've got to prepare this mine. But what is preparation? It was digging, chiseling, prepping That's the mine. That's it. Okay, so they, I Finding mean. Finding the pockets? I mean, imagine, I mean, a mine has to get started, right? Yeah. you got to oh, yeah. start chiseling in. Like, the technology was that there was ventilation in maybe most mines. I want to say that it's an all. Hopefully. But, but uh, the ventilation would have you know an intake and then the way that it would like be exhausted if you will yeah there would be a fire pit on the on the exhaust right so just like oxygen feeds a fire the intake of the mine would travel through the mine and then up through an exhaust which is topped by a fire and then that would be the exhaust yes have you ever been to the argo mill in Idaho Springs. You know what? Only driven by it. That's what I did for years. We actually stayed in Idaho Springs and decided, like, let's You actually the... stayed there? Yeah. It's awesome, man. It's, it's actually really cool. It was kind of springtime, so it was cold. Sure. Still That's very awesome, cool. Though. That's yeah. awesome. Very, very cool. We like staycations every now and then. Yeah. But, yeah, we went and toured the Argo mine, or mill, sorry. And the mill was where they'd pull, and this was a gold mine. It's different. A little bit. Sure. Not much, but they actually had... And I don't know about these coal mines precisely, but I, they had to have some sort of ventilation. You can't go down there. There's no oxygen when you get to a certain point. So the way right. the Argo mine worked was there was a massive, and I have pictures on my phone, there's a massive air compressor that would blow air into the mine from up top. Massive, man. The wheel on that thing is as tall as I am. Six foot two. It's probably bigger than I am. But was that part of the original infrastructure? I believe so. Yeah? I believe so. So, I don't know how far that dates back, but now modern mines use like a 400 horsepower fan that, that just pulls. So, yeah, obviously, it's got an inlet somewhere. All the, yeah. So, but it, but it's pulling everything out. Right. You're pulling all the bullshit out and pumping fresh air in, yep. or you're trying to keep the workers safe. Well, I haven't done enough research yet to actually know if they had ventilation in these mines. It was just more... more kind of fucked up information that led to this massacre and it it you know i don't know maybe they had ventilation dude conditions sucked i mean like in the 1800s the late 1800s the lights on their hats like Boy. they're like they're freaking their hard hats yeah. oh yeah was a oil lamp yeah like yeah. A, like a literal fire yep on their freaking forehead dude yep. and you got ignitable <laughs> material all around you <laughs> exactly so uh you know all it takes is a spark yep. to set off uh coal dust yep oh, and yeah. then you know i mean combust that or excuse me combine that with methane i mean this is just a recipe for disaster dude so these were happening more frequently then obviously than now yeah oh yeah they Night- said they said that death rates in colorado were two times the national average the national average then or is it just in in the serious? early 1900s from like 1907 to 1914 1916 colorado had two times more explosions and deaths than the entire country are you kidding me i'm not kidding you man so let's fast forward in time 1969 55 years federal health and safety act comes in to start protecting these miners thank god the m shaw miner safety health administration yep 55 years. Oh, it took them 55 years to figure out that they actually needed to protect the people who were getting them their 
Oh, wow. I'm just saying, I mean, wow. don't get me wrong. I mean, coal mining, probably there was explosions probably all the time. I don't have those stats. Sure. But when I say 55 years, 1914 is about when the strike was going on. So I, I put 55 years down. Yeah, started in 1913. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But because of these these working conditions. So in order for an explosion to happen, mm-hmm. the conditions had to be where you can't see through the coal dust. So that tells me that there was probably hardly any ventilation. That's kind of where I was headed to. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there was. So these... These workers are probably like, hell with this, dude. They, we need in- conditions to improve. Absolutely. And they're, at least in Ludlow, they had basic demands. And it's like, if you hear this now, you're like, well, that's simple. They wanted a eight-hour day. These guys are working 16, 18, 20-hour shifts in the mine, and they're getting paid $1.60 a day. But in mine money, or whatever in, you want to call in, it, yeah, just in, for fun, mine money. And CF&I money. Yeah. Not real money. They want an eight-hour day. They wanted to be paid by the real ton, not the long ton. They wanted hazard pay for the dead work. So when they'd go in there and basically get blown up, they wanted to choose where they live and sleep and shop. They wanted to be paid real money instead of the fake frickin' money. They wanted to be paid for for their time, period. That's all they wanted. That's all they wanted, but... Spend time with your family, raise your kids... Work your ass off in a very dangerous, dangerous field of work. But no, no. The 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 powers that be tried their damnedest to keep them down. So, of course, they're going to start, you know, striking. Say, no. We want better, period. They, they deserve better. Just from what we know right now, we don't even need to know the rest of the story to know that these conditions sucked. Yep. And something needed to happen. So what happened? Oh, I'll, I'll get there, but real quick. We uh we switched beers. Yeah, so what do you think of the what do you think of the the drowned lands? Yeah. What is it? A stay a while. Stay a while. Um it's good. It's a very uh very heavy Real thick. Doesn't doesn't make me burp much, but this this other one. <laughs> what do oh. you th- what do you think of that one? All right, all right. So again, it's the Belgian strong Amai. I'm probably butchering that. Amai, everybody. Amai, whatever. Amai, Amai, Amai. I'm gonna. I'll let you know. Maybe we do the review at the end. It's a ten point eight. It is dangerous, but it's smooth. Super freaking smooth. Yeah. Dangerously smooth. Yeah, dangerously smooth. smooth. And then this the the IPA for you? For me. I mean, it tastes run-of-the-mill for me. Exactly. It tastes like every other freaking IPA there is. It's not bad, though. It's not knocking it. It's not downgrading it. It just tastes great. It it fits the build of an IPA. Goes down smooth. Gets you drunk. But it's like not like, oh, wow, that's like the best IPA I've ever had in my life. I mean, the citrus doesn't punch you in the face? No. I, I wish it did. I, I like some citrus, you know. So I yeah, it's, it's like a hazy. It's like a hazy yeah. IPA. So between the two beers, the one that I can say as far as flavor and yeah, it, it's and the packs uh, a punch. Packs and a it's punch. Easy to go down. Oh, that's the one. Amai, the Boneyard, or whatever I'm, it is. I'm totally is butchering it? that, guys. <laughs> it's, it's I say I think it's a Mai. A Mai. It, it's called Drowned Lands Belgian Strong. Uh, it's really good. Yeah, fantastic. All right, one more clinky, and yeah, then I'm gonna get clink. into the into the story here. Tell me about it. I'm ready. All right. Have you ever? And I know you've heard of it, and I know a lot of listeners have heard of it as well. Pinkerton esque Baldwin Feltz Agency, or Pinkerton for short. Pinkerton for sure, but that's that's what they call it. It's just the Pinkerton Investigation Agency, I think, is what it's called. Yeah, and it still exists to this day. Really? So they hired them. The Pinkertons. When, yep. When the strike started, they hired the Pinkertons. And when they arrived, what they started doing, the very first thing they started doing was driving around Forbes Tent City in armored cars with machine guns on the back. And they were just pointing it like around the camp at all the people who were striking. And it's like, you know, 
bullying, basically. Like, oh, get back to work, get back to work. Well, one night, somebody just lit off the machine gun. Off of Pinkerton? Yep. Really? It wasn't even federally, or nobody from the federal level, just the Pinkertons. And one night, they decided to, decided to start shooting into the camp. And they actually killed a few women and children, a dog, a couple chickens. And the strikers are like, no, this this can't happen. No. So they started arming themselves. They started getting weapons. And this is like, oh, shit, here we go. You know, okay, like, yeah, tensions now, amount. Now the strikers have guns. The Pinkertons have their machine guns. And they, they actually, under their tents, they dug pits in their tents. Because they're forced to live in a tent city. Tent city and under their tent so they wouldn't die in their sleep because the Pinkertons are launching their machine guns so they would sleep in these pits under their tents. So you walk in the tent, you go in a pit, you go to bed. That's a good way to live. I guess. And uh, in October 1913, Elias Ammons, after the mayor, or governor, the governor of Colorado, Elias Ammons, at the request of John D. Rockefeller Jr., sent the National Guard to the camp. To do what? Protect. Protect and serve. Protect and serve from the Pinkertons? Or to... See, things were getting out of control, so they sent the National Guard. Not even nationally, not even politically requested. It was straight from John D. Rockefeller. Said, can you please send the National Guard to Ludlow because we have a situation mounting... Our strikers are arming themselves. Well, why? Because you fucking hired the goddamn Pinkertons, the mafia at that point, to just shoot up your tents. To shoot up the tents and basically get people riled up. And Yeah, and, and oh, you better stop. You better stop. We're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. It's, it's, it's mafioso shit, just man. Just literally like poking <sighs> the bear. For real. Poking the bear and... For real, yes. Finally something happened or... It, anyway. And, and it was Nothing not... happened yet, but... But he was not admitting anything was wrong in the camp. He was just, like, not not when he was being interviewed in Congress, nothing. He was not admitting it. He's, he's like, conditions are fine. My people are happy, blah, blah, blah. So Mr. Carl E. Lunderfelt is assigned to Ludlow as the, as the commander in charge of the National Guard. And this guy, he's been quoted saying a lot of things, and... It's it's none of it's good. Just look his name up, and it'll bring up a bunch of stuff. We're, you don't, we're on Ludlow, though. You don't have a quote? He said, I am... Well, we'll get there. <clears throat> um, so before the National Guard shows up and Pinkerton shows up, um, he requested the National Guard to be there. And, you know, requested the governor to send the National Guard. And they had... They were not being paid to go. The governor's... Just like, go, hush, hush. So they weren't being paid to be down there. And most of them started leaving. They didn't have vehicles or anything, so most of the National Guard started leaving. So Rockefeller actually put his own people, his own personal people, in National Guard uniforms. And then Linderfeld shows up. After the whole, they start arming themselves. and So Linderfeld's there, whatever. One of the very first things he does is set up a machine gun on an overlooking hill of the tent city. Forbes tent city. For, Forbes tent city, if I haven't said that enough. Again, a little louder for the people in back. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, basically this guy, power tripping son of a bitch. Uh, so back to Luis Ticas. He was the camp organizer again. Um, they basically, Linderfeld. Hit him over the head with his gun so hard that it broke the butt of his gun. And then shot him three times, left his body outside for three days to send a message. Did Tikus survive? Tikus was dead, man. So he, he the leader he, of the camp. The leader of the National Guard crew, crew that was there beat this guy and shot him three times and then left his body out. So that was Patikus. And Patikas is Lu- dead. Louis Louis Tikas was dead, and he was the camp organizer. We we touched on him a little bit ago. A little bit, yeah. The Greek dude. Yes, and yeah, and they just left his body out like this. So he this did is, die. Yep. And this is what's gonna happen to you, kind of deal. Ah. 
And so they, they set up after everything, they set up the machine gun on the hill and they took pictures, dude. They were like taking like selfies, like, like historical pictures where you can see like people on machine guns, on the machine gun, posing for a picture. It's like, this is not That's sick. This is not real time. This is fucking sick, man. It is sick. Like posing. Like, oh, I'm going to fucking blow this camp up. I'm going to shoot this place down. So in the wee hours of one of the nights, they start burning all the tents down. Walking through with torches and burning everything down. Walking past people. Like there's children and women on the ground crawling from tent to tent to try to get away from the fire. And they're just walking over and walking past them, lighting all these tents on fire. And people are screaming and crying and begging. And they actually asphyxiated 11 children and two women in one tent. And it was known as Tent 58. And that's the picture you saw. Really? They they built like a... It's not a mausoleum because it's not above ground. But they basically built a little hatch door to kind of remember that specific moment because that was another huge turning point that's that's terrifying that people in the free country in the free world can go there yeah and uh there's one name attached to it like i said i can go down a rabbit hole with the rockefellers but i won't because it's a very it's just something very interesting to look up you know, if you're if you're at home one night, just whatever you listen yeah. to this podcast, go ahead and go down the rabbit hole of the Rockefellers. I can tell you, uh, they loved eugenics. So well, the, the the whole thing turned out basically as I've been saying basically a lot. The whole thing turned out the end of it was good, but that wasn't it. The Ludlow massacre where they killed. It was basically twenty four people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was the conclusion of it. No. After they did they did that, the people actually fought back and started fighting hope. the national I would guard. Hope. Started fighting the national guard. Thank you. And where are the good guys? Yeah. I'm ready for that news. And that's what like the 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 real the good stuff is what happened to Rockefeller. Tell me. But because I'm ready what, for the bad guy to get it. Just no, it was get it's it still, stuff. It's still not. He's still there's still a Rockefeller around who's a well, filthy rich son of a bitch, but but and at least in this time period, <sighs> tell me there's some good news down there. So how did everything end, dude? Like what? So basically, what was the result? Federal government steps in. There's 50 total deaths when the fighting starts, and there there was no holding back at that point after they burned Tent City down, the uh, Forbes Tent City, um, burned Forbes. it down, whatever, and. and just fighting ensued for days, and the buildings got destroyed, and President Woodrow Wilson actually sent in federal troops in uh, early, uh, well, I should say late 1914. <laughs> um, the UMWA actually ran out of money and called off the strike in, uh, on, actually, on December 10th, 1914. So they fought from that day, April 20th, to December 10th. It was like a war. That's asinine. So in in 1911, the Sherman Antitrust, there was a lawsuit from the government basically saying they were a monopoly. And in 1911, they required and demanded that Standard Oil break up into 19 different companies. Mm. And a long time ago, fun little fact, I, I can't find it again, but... I read this a long time ago when I was going down the rabbit hole of the Rockefellers. All 19 of the Standard Oil companies that were owned by the Rockefellers were actually sent or or given to family and associates. So the Rockefellers still owned all 19 companies. They said, okay, yeah, you can break us up, but we're going to put affiliates and family members as owners of all those companies. How about that? Ludlow is easy to access from Interstate 25. Take I-25 North from Trinidad, 13 miles to exit 27. You'll drive on County Road 44 until it becomes County Road 61.5. You drove us minor. 
Flood Road within 1.5 miles of the highway. Out of the homes that the company owned Into the tents in Little Ludlow We were worried bad about our children State troopers guarded the national lines Every once in a while a bullet would fly And kick up gravel around our feet We were so afraid that you'd kill our children We dug a hole that was ten foot deep And we brought the children What you just heard is two hardworking fathers who love history, but more importantly, Colorado history. We do our research, but we do not have degrees in history. Most of what you hear is fact based upon our research. The other parts may potentially be inaccurate. We would love to hear our mistakes and mishaps at bcdcast at yahoo.com.